Life in the wilderness is a life of dependence. In the book of Numbers, the people depended on God for everything. Where to go, when to go, what to eat, what to drink, every little thing. We are a people who are dependent on God for all things as well. We might not see it in the way they did then with manna falling down with the dew of the morning, but we are dependent on God for all things nonetheless. Imagine the, the people of Israel as they are going, they've gone out from Egypt and they're about a year into their journey. They're heading out from Mount Sinai. There's several hundred thousand, maybe a million of them. They're setting up camp, tearing down camp, marching through the desert, doing all this stuff. Moses is trying to lead all these people. I mean, it is exhausting for all of them, I'm sure. This life in the desert was not easy life. This was difficult. And so to put your head into what they were going through and experiencing and then you think about this sort of spiritual journey that they were on as well. They were physically journeying, but they were on a spiritual journey of trying to live for, for God and do what God had called them to do, but they were failing in so many ways. So they had these mountaintops, they had these valleys, sort of life in the desert. And you are on a spiritual journey as well. And I know that you have mountaintops in that and valleys in that and experienced times of desert in that. And I want to call you to be dependent on the Lord, completely dependent on Him. And it's also okay to recognize that in the midst of that journey, you might be exhausted yourself. You might feel burdened yourself. Moses, as we're about to see, is leading these people, and he is, he is at the end of his rope here with all of this. He is struggling. He is having a hard time. He is overwhelmed, and I think a little burnt out, and he just needs some help. You might need some help, too, from the Lord. And so we look into this story today, and uh, the title of this sermon is Shared Spirit. As you will see, this is the way that God will tend to Moses. But we look into this story in Numbers 11. So grab your Bibles. There's Bibles in the back of the seat in front of you. Uh, Numbers, fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Then we're in chapter 11. And you've got this whole scene where we looked at this story, a part of this story a couple weeks ago, where the people are complaining. They're like, oh, remember we had fish, we had meat, we had cucumbers, we had melons in Egypt. We had all that stuff for free. It was so great. And God's like, you're forgetting what I've delivered you from, this slavery, this bondage, this, the atrocities of murdering children that they were going through. I mean, so awful. Yet now they're complaining to God about what they're going through. And Moses is frustrated with these people. And then you even see, so then in 14, his speech is longer, but we'll just join it in, in verse 14. He says, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, she's talking to God, if this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. I mean, that's, it's a rough spot. He's in a bad place when it comes to leading these people. But hear God's response to him in verse 
16. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. It's a beautiful way that God promises here to, to help Moses with his burden. Moses is struggling. Moses is having a hard time with this leadership. And God says, okay, I'm going to help you with this. And the way that he's going to help him is this whole thing of sharing his spirit with these 70 elders. So God hasn't done it yet, but he's made this promise. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. I'm going to bring along these people and I will share some of the spirit. It's the spirit of God. I will share that spirit, not just with you, because it was only for Moses at that point. Now there'll be 70 more people to help carry that spiritual leadership burden. Now, you might even like think like, okay, I feel like I've heard a story about Moses needing some help before. And there is. So this is different. This is a different story than Exodus 18. And you can flip back in your Bible if you want to Exodus 18. That's a story where uh, Moses' father-in-law, so you can get good advice from your in-laws, all right? Moses' father-in-law comes to him and he's like, hey, Moses, you're doing too much. All right, you're trying to judge and settle disputes between all these people. You're trying to lead all these people yourself. You, there's, you, you're going to need some help. And so that, that kind of goes, and then we'll catch up to that story in verse 24. It says, Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. These men were, all, were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. All right, so Moses had needed some sort of administrative leadership help, some help settling these disputes. It's like they got all these people organized. There's a ton of them. So you got leaders all over all these little different sizes of groups of people, and he's getting this help. Now, that's, that's a good thing. What's interesting, though, is we see, okay, later in the story here, Moses still needs a different kind of help. Moses needs help with this spiritual leadership and carrying this spiritual burden of these people who are really struggling to follow God. They're struggling to trust God, to be dependent on God in the way that they're supposed to be and keep their eyes fixed on what God will do and how God will help them and not looking back to Egypt where it was awful, but somehow they were comfortable with that sort of routine in their life. And now... Uh, what I think is kind of like an intriguing thing here is for us is you might have like done some work already in your life. You might have recognized like, okay, I need some help with some stuff. I need to like, I need to go to my community and get some help with the things in my life. I need to go to God for some stuff. And then you've gone a little bit later in your life and recognized, you know what? I need help again. And that's okay, <laughs> right? You might have gotten some help and now you need help again. It doesn't mean you just sort of get this help from the Lord or help from others once and then you've got it dialed. You might need to be going back to God again. And so he's got this 
this uh, beautiful moment of God tending to him and caring for him in the midst of this. And, you know, Moses, when you think about it, is probably one of the most high-capacity leaders of all time, and he needed help. So guess what? You're going to need help too, both just in sort of the everyday uh, situations of life, but also in this like kind of this carrying the spiritual burden of who God has entrusted to you. Maybe you don't have hundreds of thousands of people following you uh, where to go, but you probably have some people that you are shepherding or discipling and helping along in the faith. If you don't, I actually encourage you to do that, <laughs> to kind of take that on, because that is our calling to do that, to make disciples in our lives. And so you might be doing some of that and just need a little bit of help and help from God and help from others. And so God's caring for Moses. But one thing you see here as God is caring for him is he does not grant his prayer request. God does not do what Moses wants. God says, or Moses says, just kill me. This is too much. God doesn't just strike him dead there, all right? God actually sees his need and helps meet his need without doing what Moses asked. And I think that's just like another little lesson for us. Sometimes when we ask for something, we might have a need, but we don't really know what we're asking for when we're praying to God. And God might see beyond what our request is into our greater need as God cares for us in the midst of that. And um, and, and it's interesting that so what God does is he sees this need in Moses and he doesn't uh, like he doesn't just brainwash the people or he doesn't change the mind of the people or something. God, these people, these rebellious people, I can't carry their burden. God doesn't change them. God gives Moses help. God provides help in this spiritual leadership thing. And it is actually the very spirit of God that is shared with the people. It's not Moses' spirit. It's not like some sort of different thing. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And, and that doesn't diminish like as it's divided up or something. You know, like it's, there's the same amount of spirit for everyone and God then isn't lessened by that or something. That is how we all now, as we'll get into as we go here, we all have the very spirit of God dwelling within us. And it's not like a little bit less as it goes down, you know, more and more people or something like that. I thought it would be uh, maybe helpful just to kind of talk a little bit about how we think about some of this stuff even here at Calvary Church. Because we want to be a place that um, cares about the, the spiritual life, the souls of our leaders. And that we also really care about having this sort of shared leadership structure in the way that, um, in the way that Moses is talking about here. You have people that are like serving administratively and kind of organizationally. And then you've got people that are serving with kind of spiritual oversight in that way. And so we even here, we have... We have an elder board, which I serve within, and it's like, according to our bylaws, it has to have at least 12 people. Um, and even right now, there's 15, including me, serving on the elder board. And so there's this, there's this spiritual oversight and leadership that is shared amongst that group of people. It's not just a couple people. It's a relatively large group of people. Plus, we have former elders that have served in the past that we believe are part of our leadership still. Uh, then you have about 
um, our pastoral staff, about 25 people that are part of our pastoral staff that have like a, so sharing that leadership amongst different age groups or different ministry functions and all of that. So you've got all that. You've got different kind of ministry teams that are sort of a different kind of leadership where like our trustees that are giving financial leadership or leadership in like in our finances. You have our missions team providing that leadership over our, our huge missions ministry here at Calvary Church, our school ministry team, it's like our school board, and then you've got life group leaders, you've got support staff, you've got Sunday school teachers, you have um, teachers in our school, you've got missionaries, you have people in all sorts of other roles, like all sorts of roles in the church. And so we believe in this kind of shared leadership here at Calvary, and we also want to sort of nurture the souls of those people. And so even for like our, especially like our, for our pastoral staff and some of our other staff, we have chapels on a weekly basis that are, some of them are like spiritual formation kind of focused to really care for and nurture the souls of those people. We have mentorship. We have solid, we encourage people to go on solitude retreats or we have an annual pastoral staff retreat that's kind of nurturing and caring for the soul of our leaders. We have days of prayer uh, and we even have sabbaticals. Um, sabbatical uh, like plan where full-time pastoral staff can go on like about a three-month sabbatical once every seven years and um, that is like to be able to like deep intimacy with the Lord and rest and maybe even working on some sort of study or project that's kind of beyond the day-to-day and I'll even be going on my sabbatical this summer been eight years since my last sabbatical like a lot of our pastoral staff I think most of our pastoral staff that have served for seven years full-time here has been able to do that. But so what we do that because we don't want to get to the point where we are saying, God, just kill me. <laughs> All right? We're not at that point. I'm not at that point. <laughs> but, uh, but we also we want to say, hey, we want to do this kind of stuff proactively and preventatively and caring and nurturing for the souls of the people that are leading this church and myself included and saying, okay, we want to be doing that out of a sense of intimacy with the Lord and closeness and hearing from God and out of that overflow and not just this depletion that Moses is going through in this passage, right? And so that's just like a bit of how we do it here with our staff team, but recognizing that you need to have a plan for that in your life and in the the spheres of influence that you have. You might not be able to do it all the kind of way that we can at a church staff that's relatively unique in some ways, but recognize that you should have a plan for that. How are you sharing leadership? How are you finding that kind of spiritual rest? How are you being poured into by someone else and to ask for it if you aren't receiving that from someone? And so have a plan for that so you don't get to the point of saying, God, I've had enough, I'm out. Have a plan for you. And so these elders, these 70 elders are the plan for Moses. These 70 elders are sharing the spirit these, uh, of God. These 70 elders are expressing spiritual authority and leadership amongst these people. And it's, uh, it's an amazing thing that they are under the authority of God through Moses and then through them. And that spiritual burden is being carried by these people. Now, for you... 
We've talked a little bit about spiritual authority and kind of that kind of stuff here, that you have some spiritual authority as part of what we call the royal priesthood of believers, what the New Testament calls we are all part of the royal priesthood of believers. So we are fulfilling kind of a priestly role in that way in our lives and knowing also that we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. In Christ, we are sons and daughters, and so we live out our faith in that kind of way as princesses and princesses. And then we've been given this local authority somewhere. Maybe that's your home. Maybe that's your work. Maybe that's with uh, some sort of ministry that you're involved in. And that you have this, you bring that spiritual authority into those realms. And so live that out in that kind of way. The same way these 70 elders were doing that with the people of Israel wandering around the desert, you are to live that kind of authority, that kind of leadership, that priestly leadership in the areas that God has given you. And you have the Spirit of God in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. One thing that's kind of interesting is you've got these 70 elders here, and then Jesus takes 70 disciples. So there's the 12, but then there was this other group of the 70, and then he sends them out. And he says, I give you to that 70. He says, I give you authority to proclaim the kingdom of God, to do miracles, to bless. And so he sends them out, and they go out in that authority. And that's Kind of interesting and cool, I think, where you've got these 70 elders back then and then these 70 disciples, and then it's going to get even broader when we finally get to Pentecost. Uh, But this whole concept of this shared leadership, it's biblical and it's important that there is not just, it's not just about one person. Even here in the, the way Old Testament, right, the book of Numbers, God sees the need to share that kind of leadership. And so we live that out here as well. So let's look at where it actually then happens in these next, uh, in the next few verses in 24 to 27 in Numbers chapter 11. It says, So Moses went out and reported the Lord's words to the people. He gathered the 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But this never happened again. Two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they had not uh, gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied there in the camp. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So this is what happens, all right? So God does this thing where he shares his Spirit. He places his Spirit upon these 70 elders And then they begin to prophesy. Whatever this is, we're going to talk about that, okay, a little bit here in a second. But this says there's even these two guys that just hadn't gone over yet to the tent. I don't know if it's like potty break on the way. I don't know why they were behind. But the Spirit comes upon them and they begin to prophesy as well. And so these leaders are here in in this moment where God is sharing his Spirit for them. Now, what is this prophesying because the spirit comes upon these 70 elders and they begin to prophesy and it's something where people notice whatever it is they're doing it's something that people notice even one person kind of freaks out and runs and tells Moses 
There's two guys prophesying. So whatever they see that he's prophesying. Because normally what we think of um, prophesying, prophecy, is this speaking something from God. I think especially in, in a New Testament uh, context, we think of prophecy, prophesying as we are speaking something from God. And that's what a prophet does even in the, the later parts of the Old Testament. Prophets speak for God. But it's a little different even than just um, like teaching or preaching like with what I'm doing now. Like I believe that God is using me and God is, um, is, is using me to speak his words to you. And I've studied and I've prepared and I've prayed. And he's speaking to you through me. But this is even more so. Prophecy is not just a speaker but one spoken through. It's God literally speaking through someone. Okay, Giving the, a word from God, a prophetic word to his people. Okay, So that's like prophecy. But what's going on here is something kind of unusual, okay? There's something sort of unusual happening in this passage that people are running and reporting. It wasn't just like these two people are out in the camp and they're like, I believe God has given me a message for you. And then they freak out and run. There's like something happening, right? And so it's some sort of unusual, abnormal, maybe ecstatic kind of activity as a result of God's spirit being given to them. Now, that sounds odd, right? Like, now, so like, here's the thing, as I've been studying this too, because I was like, what really is this? And every scholar that I've been reading, and I've read several different scholars just on this passage alone and on this, this point alone, basically every single one of them doesn't really give a good answer. You know, they don't give like a, uh, they don't give like a real strict answer. They're kind of talking around it. And you can sort of tell like when some of like the commentators sort of talk around something and like all of them do, it's just like, ah, we don't really know exactly, but we're just going to sort of talk about some nice stuff and write some words and then you can figure it out from there. But uh, that's, that is what's happening with this. But we can look around at some parts of scripture and see a little bit of what's going on. Now, one of those is first Samuel 10 and 19. So in 1 Samuel 10, you've got Saul, who is the first king of Israel. He's just been anointed as the king of Israel. And so this is obviously like later in the story from where we were in Numbers, when they finally have a king. And it says, like, Samuel is saying to, to Saul, Samuel is this prophet, and he says to Saul, you're going to see these, this band of prophets. And he says, at that time, this is verse 6, 10 verse 6, at that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. Okay, so something's happening kind of kind of strangely in him. And then you flip over to chapter 19 and he's walking along, and it says in verse 23, On the way to Nioth in Ramah, the Spirit of God came even upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy all the way to Nioth. He tore off his clothes and lay naked on the ground all day and all night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. The people who were watching exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? Okay. I am not prescribing this. <laughs> this is not, thus saith the Lord, go take your clothes off and lay down on the ground all day and all night doing something here, right? <laughs> but this is something kind of, like that's why we said, this, is, this prophesying is not just somebody saying some nice words from the Lord. Like there's some sort of unusual activity that's taking place here. Now, in our story here in the book of Numbers, it says, 
the Spirit of God comes upon them and they prophesy and then they never did it again, right? And so it was some sort of, uh, of sign of the presence and arrival of the Spirit in their lives, okay? And, and there's something kind of explodes out of that and then it's like, okay, now we know the Spirit has come. Now the Spirit didn't go away later, right? Even though they weren't like prophesying all the time, they still had the Holy Spirit with them and they were acting out of that, but it wasn't necessarily in that same way. Now, um, let's see, what else we want to say about this? 1 Corinthians 14 is a passage, basically, like what I just want to say is that is a passage where in the New Testament it talks about the gift of prophecy is something you should seek and long for. That it's better than other gifts. That it's better than speaking in tongues specifically, it says. And that, that prophesying is something good. Now, I believe this sort of this New Testament prophecy is especially speaking, having God speak through you. We should long for that, to have God speak through us and that it edifies and builds up the church in some way. That is something that we should desire and long for, for God to work in us like that. Now, let's kind of keep going and digging into this because it's, it's odd, but I think we can get a, a sense of understanding it. We don't know exactly what they were doing, but we know it was something unusual. We know it was something uh, that was, a, was visible and people were aware of God working in them in some way. All right. Now, the last few verses, uh, we'll read 28 to 30 of Numbers 11. So just, okay, the, the Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then it says, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Then Moses returned to the camp with the elders of Israel. And so I want to say God's spirit is for everyone even when they or we don't understand. Joshua is the next leader. Joshua, um, he's the next leader of Israel who's one of the most faith-filled, bold, courageous people for God of all time. And he's protesting. He doesn't get it. He's like, what's going on here? This has got to stop. And Moses says, no, 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 no. Don't stop this. I wish this for everyone. What's cool is he was really being a prophet there because it does end up being for everyone. That the Spirit of God is for everyone, even when we don't get it. And so if Joshua doesn't get it, it's okay if you kind of don't get it too, okay? Or if it kind of freaks you out a little bit, some of this stuff. Now, it does. And so I encourage you, though, that Moses doesn't stop it. And there's moments, too, where, like, Jesus doesn't stop stuff like this. Mark 9, 38 says, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. <laughs> Sorry, just like <laughs> the disciples are so funny sometimes. But it's just like we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. And then Jesus says, don't stop him. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Jesus doesn't stop this. Moses doesn't stop it. We shouldn't stop it. Um, Moses wishes this for everyone. He wants this to be for all people because God's spirit 
is what every servant of God needs. God's spirit is what every leader needs. Every criticized, tired, exhausted leader like Moses needs the spirit of God and needs a group, a band of people together who are filled with the Spirit of God, serving together as a team, even as we talked about earlier, that we are a team of people filled with the Spirit of God, the power and presence of God in our lives. And we need that in each other to help each other in whatever way God has entrusted us to express authority and influence in where he's put us. Like I said, our home, our place of business, our classroom, our... um, you know, the, the ministry stuff we are involved in, our group of friends, whatever that might be, we need the Spirit of God with us. And so what we do is we see kind of the story uh, of the Bible continues. Obviously, we get to the time of Jesus, and Jesus has lived this incredible, perfect life. And then he goes upon the cross, and he dies on the cross. And the third day, he is resurrected, comes back to life again. And then he goes and appears to hundreds of people, and then he ascends into heaven. And he tells them, wait, wait for the Spirit to come, okay? Wait. And they're all waiting, but they're kind of freaked out and afraid, and they don't know, like, what exactly how this is all going to look. And then comes this time of Pentecost. And so we see in Acts 2 that this, these early, the early church, these disciples are watching and waiting. And it says, Acts 2 verse 1, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So these, these early followers of Jesus, they are given the Spirit here. And they are given the Spirit and then it's like some sort of sign of his power and presence come happens at this moment, right? That they have these flames, these tongues of fire above them in some way. Now, kind of like, I think, kind of like the, uh, the elders back in the book of Numbers where it says, and then it never happened again. These people weren't walking around with little fires on their head for like the rest of their lives, okay? It was like this was a sign of the power and presence of God and the Holy Spirit come for them in this moment. And then they, after that, then began to live out of that power as well. And so then you see them go and, and perform miracles and, and see many people come to follow Jesus. And in boldness, they go and, and share the message of Jesus around that area of the world, and it was incredible. But then after, after that, as these people are speaking in these, these other languages that other people could actually even understand in their own language, and then people are saying that they're drunk. These people must be drunk. They're kind of acting all crazy. And then it says uh, in verse 14 of Acts 2, Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people aren't drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. So he quotes this prophecy. Hear these words. These are words from the Lord to them on this day and to you today. In the last days, God says, 
I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he continues that speech and 3,000 people are saved in that very moment. And I want you to tell you that these aren't words for some other people in some other place. These are the words of God to you from a prophet through Peter, through the scripture, through me telling you that God is real. God is coming Again, he's here and he wants to work in you and through you in a way to see lives impacted for the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is in you. You are indwelled with the very Spirit of God. <laughs> clap it up, but take it in, okay? Clap it up, but take it in. <laughs> You are indwelled with the very Spirit of God and the Spirit of God will empower you to do his work, to proclaim his kingdom come and coming, that he is coming again, that we believe that we can see people's lives transformed and changed through the very spirit of God working in us and through us. And that might come in some real normal looking ways and some maybe kind of weirder looking ways. We just say, hey, God, we trust you. We depend on you. We trust whatever you will do. And so we are a people that are living this life in between, this life in the wilderness. And we say, God, we will depend on you for all things. And we know the way he works is through his spirit. One last verse I want to read to you. Ephesians 4, 3 through 4 says this. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. That we are united in the Spirit of God. All these different people with different opinions on all sorts of stuff. We are united in the Spirit of God and we go out in the Spirit of God on the same mission together. And so may we live in that kind of unity that comes from God's Spirit in us working through us. And then we depend and trust in Him as we go. And so what I want you to do right now is just to spend a few moments here as we lean into Him as we listen to him and we ask for that Holy Spirit's filling and empowering in our lives. We all have the Holy Spirit of God in us. We don't need to ask, Lord, may I have a sense of your presence and power in me and working through me. And unite us in that. And so to ask God to fill you with his spirit, just afresh and anew, empowered by him. So I'm going to pray here and then I just, just have a moment just of silence and just Talk to God in that way, and then we'll sing a little bit more, asking his spirit to come. Let's pray together.
Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh on this room and these people. May you work in them in a way that they are aware of your power and presence with them. May we trust in you completely and depend on you and ask, Lord, for you to work in whatever way you choose in us and that we will submit to you for whatever you would choose to do in us, God. Holy Spirit, fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a moment to pray.